The search for a suspect in a beating on SkyTrain. The suspect allegedly shoved the female out of the uh, SkyTrain doors. The latest on the young female victim. Four more deaths due to COVID-19. No more of this heroic, I've got a bit of a sniffle, but I'll make it through. New concerns about Canada's food supply. And a taste of what's to come. Maybe you just have stand-up patio railings so that people can be outside where they're more comfortable. What the restaurant industry is cooking up for the future. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with disturbing details of a violent attack on a young woman on SkyTrain. Transit police need your help in identifying the suspect. Our Romina Dea is at Waterfront Station tonight with more on uh, the incident. This is where it all started at Waterfront, Romina. And also disturbing is what mm. the suspect allegedly said to the woman before the attack. Sophia, bizarre choice of words, which is still under investigation. This happened on Saturday at 7.50 in the morning. According to transit police, the victim was on the train. She was approached by the suspect. He was apparently staring at her. They were the only two on the train. She had asked him if something was wrong, and that's when he started yelling at her. He said, you people are why my daughter is sick. Transit police say that's when the suspect grabbed the victim's backpack and unleashed a violent beating. He then allegedly approached the female, grabbed her backpack, and then allegedly punched her multiple times. He then proceeded to grab her by her hair in the back of the head and violently strike her head against the seating in the SkyTrain. As the train pulled into Burrard SkyTrain station, the doors opened and the suspect allegedly shoved the, the female out of the uh, SkyTrain doors onto the platform. Um, while he did this, he also uh, took her cell phone. Now, the suspect then allegedly threw the victim's phone against the wall at Burrard Station. She was yelling for help. Thankfully, two good Samaritans stepped in, and while they managed to retrieve her bag for her, the suspect took off. He eventually disembarked in Surrey at King George Station. What was the motive in this case? We still don't know whether it was robbery or something else. Um, we still don't have context either as far as the comment that was made that you people are why my daughter is sick. Now, transit police say they don't know if the incident was racially motivated or if mental health may have played a role. We do know that the victim is not Asian, but she is a visible minority. There was no uh, COVID-specific COVID remarks. Um, the suspect referenced uh, uh, sickness, but there's uh, really, other than the statement, there's nothing to, uh, to relate this to the current pandemic. Now, the victim suffered a cut above her eye, a bloody nose, a significant swelling to her face. Transit police are saying that she is traumatized. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea at Waterfront Station. Well, a business owner in Vancouver's Chinatown is recovering from another seemingly random act of violence, warning that his neighborhood is becoming increasingly unsafe and he'll have the scars to prove it. Kurt Lesney says he was sweeping up broken glass outside his gym on Tuesday afternoon when he was attacked. Jordan Armstrong reports. It's tough to picture anyone messing with Kurt Lesney. The personal trainer is in top shape. But Tuesday about noon, while sweeping up glass from vehicle break-ins outside his gym, he was attacked. 
a more superficial slash here, but a deeper slash here. Luzny says a guy walking by on West Pender felt disrespected by the sweeping. They argued. Luzny says when he turned around, he was struck in the face. He believes the guy had a weapon. I felt he hadn't hit me particularly hard, but then I sort of felt warmth and liquid on my face. I reach up. And like my hands full of blood. With help from a witness, Luzny pursued the guy from a distance to take his picture. He didn't seem all there. Like when he was trying to do his getaway, he was walking fast. Who walks fast after you assault someone? You want to get, and you know, he knew she was calling the cops. You want to get the hell out of there, you would think. A few blocks away, Luzny claims the guy charged at him. But this time, he was no match for the muscle. We were tussling for a bit. I picked him up and threw him down a couple of times because he was smaller than I was. VPD arrested a 39-year-old man. He's expected to be charged with assault. He is known to police, but we are trying to determine why this happened and why he was assaulting somebody who lives in the neighborhood. A neighborhood Luzny feels has deteriorated during the pandemic. Now that he's stitched up, he's warning others in Chinatown, Crosstown and Gastown to be vigilant. Lots of friends of mine in Gastown are really frightened. They're really concerned about the anger they see on the streets, the belligerence they see on the streets. They really feel it's unsafe down here. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. New numbers from the province today in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic include more positive tests at lower mainland poultry plants. We have 34 new cases today for a total now of 2,087 and four additional deaths involving people in long-term care homes. Keith Baldry puts all the numbers into context for us and what it means for the province's reopening plans. And we are now up to 50 people who have tested positive at Superior Poultry and 42 people at the United Poultry uh, work site. Chicken processing plants in Metro Vancouver continue to be the main clusters of COVID-19 in this province, as more than 90 people associated with the facilities have tested positive for the virus. Investigations are ongoing both in those two areas and also in a, a number of other workplaces um, where there is potential for transmission. Those cluster outbreaks come as the most serious cases continue to decline or stabilize in terms of both hospitalizations and ICU cases. And recovered cases are now at almost two-thirds of the overall total. Dr. Bonnie Henry said today her testing strategy to find the virus continues to evolve, but not to the point of mass testing. Random testing in the community of anybody with no symptoms is of very little value to us with the current tests that we have. And Health Minister Adrian Dix says while more than 14,000 surgeries have been performed in B.C. hospitals since the pandemic began, the number of postponed surgeries continues to climb. We would expect by... Um, the third week in May, that the, it will be between 28,000 and 30,000 schedules surgeries that would have occurred and that did not occur because of the cancellation of, uh, of elective surgeries. Meanwhile, Dr. Henry says most businesses will know next week how they can reopen safely. It is part of my job and part of our job in public health and with the ministries, the government, to work with each sector to say this is, this is the guidance and, and once you've met these conditions, you can um, open safely. But she warns now is not the time to take our foot off the pedal. We're almost there. We need to give it a bit more time. We still have um, cases and outbreaks in our community. Now is not yet the time to do that, and it can set us back. 
All right, Keith joins us now from Victoria with more. Keith, we heard from the Premier today also talking about plans to kickstart the economy, but most importantly, doing it right. Yeah, doing it right and doing it under the rules. Uh, Premier John Horgan pointed out today uh, what, I, what numbers have been pointed out for some time. There's been very little orders for businesses to close their doors. And so next week when we get the plan from the province, the encouragement from the Premier and others is open your doors, play by the rules, and people begin to shop again. Uh, here's Premier John Horgan from today. There are many sectors that, uh, that, that close down without any uh, initiation from the public health office. Uh, I think of golf courses, for example. Uh, Dr. Henry at no time said that golf courses should close, but many did. And, and that's, that was a decision that, that those uh, companies and those operations made. Similarly, there are other operations that continue to go when they probably shouldn't have. It's absolutely critical that we get our dental services back up and running as quickly as possible, but uh, that is a high-risk Area, and Dr. Henry and her staff are working with dental, the Dental Association on how best to get back into regular operation in that area. Interesting, the Premier singled out two areas, golf courses, many of which have now reopened, realizing they can open and uh, operate under the rules of social uh, distancing. Also mentioning, uh, mentioning dental services. It will be interesting whether that's part of the first wave of businesses that will be encouraged to open with social distancing rules in place. Look for a whole bunch of businesses to open on their own volition over the weeks ahead. And we expect the, the statement and the plan, the blueprints coming from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Premier John Horgan sometime next week, probably Wednesday or Thursday. All right, looking forward to uh, what they have to say. Keith, thank you. Could be a long time before air travel recovers, and that brings us to another major Metro Vancouver employer announcing COVID-19-related job cuts. The Vancouver Airport Authority says with far fewer people traveling, it's being forced to reduce its workforce. It'll begin with voluntary buyouts and then move on to layoffs. YVR employs more than 500 people in areas like airport operations, finance and engineering. Today's announcement does not include the broader airport workforce of 26,000 whose employers have made their own job cuts. Well, there is bad news accompanied by a small glimmer of hope in the latest forecast from the Central One Credit Union about the impact of COVID-19 on the Canadian and B.C. economies. A new forecast says the Canadian economy will shrink by 8% this year, but will have a 6% rebound next year. It indicates Canada's gross domestic product will contract by a staggering 40% during the second quarter of this year. Here in B.C., the GDP will drop by 7.3% this year, but rebound 5.1% in 2021. B.C.'s economic output isn't expected to return to pre-COVID-19 trends until mid-2021, and tourism will suffer due to physical distancing regulations right into next year. Yeah, and we're going to go back to some comments from Premier John Horgan, who says the provincial government is working on establishing sick pay benefits for part-time and casual workers, too. As Richard Zussman reports, it's part of the government's drive to make sure that when parts of the economy begin to reopen, people don't have to feel like they have to go to work when they're sick. Playing hurt, sucking it up, is just the sniffles. Heading to work sick has long been commonplace, but no more. Critical to our success will be everybody understanding that if you are not well, you should not go to the workplace. The B.C. government is set to unveil plans next week on easing restrictions and reopening the economy. But one of the big challenges is keeping people home who are sick, 
especially when they aren't getting paid, in order to prevent another spread. We have to work together on a solution, and we've been doing that over the past number of weeks, and we have more work to do. In the short term, the government is advising workers staying home sick to apply for the federal CERB. But that didn't help at both United and Superior Poultry, where the 92 test positive COVID cases are driven by employees showing up sick. What we're doing across government is trying to find ways to ensure that we allow workers to make those choices for their health and their, their colleagues' health and for the broader economy without having an economic penalty. The province passed legislation to ensure employees can't be fired if they don't show up to work due to COVID-19. But there are concerns that employers will force employees to come to work. That's always a risk um, that employers are going to require employees to come to work when they don't have safety mechanisms in place. An employee has a right to complain to WorkSafe BC under the occupational health and safety regulations. As for whether employees would take advantage of new benefits for sick leave, Rasso says she doesn't expect that. Well, I think it's unlikely that people are going to use any legislation to milk the system. But whether the system actually ensures sick employees don't show up, that is still a work in progress. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A growing number of COVID-19 outbreaks at food processing facilities here in B.C., across Canada and in the U.S. are causing concerns about our food supply. The problem is so acute, the country's largest fast food chain is ditching its long-running policy on only using Canadian beef and starting to import from abroad. Aaron MacArthur reports. The sign says open, but it's hardly business as usual at Fraser Valley Specialty Poultry. A worker in the processing plant tested positive for COVID-19 and the owner has decided to shut that part of the business until they can get further instructions from Fraser Health. If that means staff testing, that's what it means. If it means uh, a lengthier shutdown, well then we'll, we'll have to figure out how we can direct the birds that were ready to come to the, the processing plant to other processors. Along with several poultry operations in Metro Vancouver, several key meat processors across the country are dealing with outbreaks. In Alberta, 70% of the nation's beef production has been affected. As of right now, there are no supply issues. But there is concern if restaurants start opening in large numbers again, it might tip the scales. It's not like we're eating any more than we ate before. We're just eating it in different places. So as demand goes up in restaurants again, it will come down in retail. And so overall supply will, will balance out. McDonald's Canada has shifted to American beef suppliers for the time being. The Prime Minister making no plans to join the U.S. in mandating meat suppliers stay open. The priority for us is both things, keeping people safe and ensuring a good supply of food to Canadians. Shutdowns of meat processors have had a major impact on ranchers and farmers. Livestock prices are down and overhead has gone up. Consumers haven't had to deal with a sharp rise in the price of meat yet. Experts say it is a possibility the longer the shutdowns and slowdowns drag on. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, since the COVID crisis began, restaurants have either closed down or switched entirely to a takeout model. But what's the recipe for success when they reopen? How dining out could make a comeback in just over a minute. You can't be destroying my life. <laughs> a little girl has had it up to here with social distancing 
And the video is going viral. We'll show it to you coming up on the news hour. And rounding out the Canucks all-time roster with the top four words after 65,000 votes. Who makes the team later in sports? Right now, though, as we get closer to reopening restaurants, one Vancouver councillor wants to give the city's eateries a chance to feast on that pent-up demand by relaxing the rules for patios. Grace Key tells us how it might work and how the overall experience of dining out will be very different than before. In Spain, diners now toast over dividers and have temperature checks. The province has talked about reopening, and the industry is offering a proposal that includes temperature checks, masks and gloves, hand sanitizing stations, plexiglass, limiting groups, reducing capacity. At a bar, you could belly up to a plastic shield, and customers would be six feet apart. But for small restaurants like Les Tortoise, a partial opening will still be a struggle. So maybe two tables, it's going to be four people sitting. So it's, it's nothing. It's going to add something. Patios are another big push. Vancouver Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young has introduced a motion to expedite permitting and redefine patios. Pop-up standing railings, expanded size, use of street and laneway space are all possibilities. One is about being really flexible and taking this opportunity to really reinvent and adapt in, in a new environment. That's when innovation can usually happen. But the other thing is about being responsive and quick. Can we get that permitting out the door more quickly? Because for a restaurant business, every week counts and it can make the difference between them staying open or closed. One former city planner says it can't be done in a way that competes with pedestrians, bikes and trees. Absolutely, we should have a strategy to grow our patio space. It'll, it'll make better streets and more successful restaurants. But we're probably going to have to do it in the context of reconsidering all the ex overly generous space we've given to cars. At last Tortoise, the owner may be able to add a couple of seats outside, but prefers closing off a side street. They were planning to do a sitting, outdoor seating area in the corner. It may help, yes. Go ahead and do that as soon as possible. No? Restaurants just hope changes will be enough to survive. Grace Key, Global News. Global helps a disappointed traveler get her money back. We just can't afford to go on that trip. There's no way at this point, so I've had to cancel it. The Airbnb host was very forgiving. The company itself, not so much initially. But watch what happens when Consumer Matters gets involved. And Fort McMurray, Alberta survived wildfires. Now it has to survive this epic flooding and what's causing it coming up. Traffic is steady north and south over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. That's good news for southbound traffic after clearing an earlier problem. At Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A lot of people have been forced to put their vacation plans on hold because of the pandemic, and in some cases, that makes getting a refund on accommodations very difficult. Turns out a lot depends on the cancellation policy. That was the case for an Airbnb guest who was hoping the company would make an exception and refund a service fee. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea to tell us more. And Thanks, Sophie. Well, in this case, the Airbnb host made an exception and waived the cancellation policy for the guest and issued a refund. But when it came to getting a refund on the guest service fee, Airbnb wasn't as accommodating until Consumer Matters got involved. 
For the past 15 years, Linda Murray and her husband have vacationed in Mexico. But this year, due to the coronavirus, that trip has been put on hold indefinitely. The couple owns a small kiosk at Vancouver's Canada Place inside the cruise ship terminal, a business that relies solely on the cruise ship industry, a business that now sits empty. We, we just can't afford to go on that trip. There's no way at this point, so I had to cancel it. Back in January, Linda booked a long-term stay through Airbnb for this condo in Mexico for the following winter. She says the condo is popular, so she has to book a year in advance to secure her accommodation. Now with the uncertainty surrounding the survival of her small business because of COVID-19, she asks the host to waive the cancellation policy due to extenuating circumstances. And everything's been fine for 15 years. I've never had to cancel. The host made an exception and waived the cancellation policy, refunding Linda over $4,000. But Airbnb still charged Linda a service fee of over $700. We have no income. Um, and I, I don't really know what the future holds for our business. So it's, uh, it's a real blow to be charged that amount of money. Linda says she reached out to Airbnb several times, asking them to remove the service fee and to make an exception given the pandemic. But Airbnb told her, please be advised that your host doesn't have access to refund the service fee and service fees are non-refundable, especially if the reservation is not covered by our extenuating circumstance policy. In your case, since the dates you booked are not covered by our said policy, then it will remain non-refundable. They refuse to budge. They say that's their policy. And um, I couldn't I couldn't reason with them any other way. Um, I didn't know what to do. Linda turned to Consumer Matters for help. We reached out to Airbnb explaining Linda's circumstances and the home sharing site refunded Linda over $700 the next day. Well, thanks to you, Anne. Um, I got my money back and I'm very pleased. And Airbnb has told Linda that normally it's Airbnb guest service fees are refunded for long-term stays only if you cancel within 48 hours of booking and that additionally it has offered credits for service fees for COVID-19 related cancellations. Regardless, Airbnb says it will offer Linda a one-time courtesy and issue a refund of the guest fee. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Good work, Anne. Thank you. Passenger rail service has been on the wish list for many Vancouver Islanders for years now. But a new report says it could cost a half billion dollars or more to restart the troubled E&N rail line linking Victoria and Courtney. Global's Brad McLeod reports. These overgrown and deteriorating train tracks run 289 kilometers from Victoria to Courtney. But they haven't been used to haul freight nor people for nearly a decade. Many portions now in poor condition. But a detailed report has just been released by the province and the price tag to revamp bridges and ties along the corridor has some island leaders stopped in their tracks. We were very supportive of this, you know, our council. And uh, now with this news, you know, obviously we have to take a step back now and go, wow, really? The E&N Railway, perhaps better known for its recreational paths that run alongside the tracks now, but the costs are coming in on what it's going to take to get the rails up and running. For basic commuter and freight traffic, that's going to cost over $320 million. And if you up that to the max amount of traffic, well, that comes in at $720 million. Really is just such a huge gap between what I was told by Island Corridor Foundation. The Island Corridor Foundation, a charity which manages the former ENN, 
has been outspoken about getting trains back on the tracks, but with these new multi-million dollar estimates on the table, they have declined interviews to meet our deadline. And big benefits have come from it. A former Port Alberni councillor says rail back in his community could mean an economic boost. To use our, our port, uh, our deep sea port, much better and link it with Nanaimo. Langford's mayor says enough already. No more studies, no more being strung along by low quotes from the Island Corridor Foundation. The answer to moving more people in and out of his community could be something more off the rails. Maybe it's buses, maybe it's a gondola. I'm hearing all these things, people telling me what to do, but at $600 million, we better be looking at other options. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Still ahead, the Canadian Navy suffers a major loss when a chopper disappears on a NATO mission near Greece. The latest on the investigation next. Also tonight, the violation of trust at the core of the Nova Scotia shooting and preventing it from happening again. Traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel. Just seeing pockets of volume southbound past Steveston. To help you stay safe and at home, Rona is offering free parcel shipping and curbside pickup with online purchases at rona.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A Canadian military helicopter taking part in a NATO operation in the Mediterranean has gone missing. Greek national broadcaster ERT says the aircraft went missing off the coast of Cephalonia, an island in western Greece. An Italian and a Turkish frigate that were also part of the operation have been searching for the helicopter. Three people are believed to be on board. RCMP have begun filling in some of the holes in the timeline of Canada's worst mass murder and how he was able to cause such carnage. The tragedy in Nova Scotia claimed 22 victims. But as Global's Jesse Thomas reports, so many questions remain. RCMP continue to comb through a long trail of evidence at crime scenes that stretch from a rural northern area of Porta Peak south to central Nova Scotia. 16 crime scenes in all and a list of 435 witnesses. Investigators are working to determine what drove Gabriel Wartman to commit the mass shooting. And certainly beyond just the sheer number of, of victims making this the, the largest mass murder in Canadian history, I know of few, if any, cases anywhere where the a spree, as it were, covered this amount of distance and went on for this long. Dressed like an RCMP officer and driving a mock police cruiser, the killer was able to extend his rampage while evading police. His killing spree, targeting people he knew and others at random. Shooter capitalized on the use of police legitimacy in order to actually enact his shootings and then eventually evade police. It's a total tale of legitimacy betrayal. He identified a niche in this case, the fact that the community had trust in their police and then seized that trust to use it against them to go about committing his extreme act of violence. Premier Stephen McNeil was asked how laws could be changed to keep others from imitating a police officer and acquiring police paraphernalia. I want to let uh, the RCMP follow through with this investigation. I'm sure there will be recommendations coming out of this. Uh, and not only here in Nova Scotia, but I'm sure nationally they'll be looking at uh, how do we address the issue of surplus uh, equipment from law enforcement agencies across the country. It also remains to be seen what effect the COVID-19 lockdown had on the mass shooting, but you can't separate the two, said criminologist Michael Arntfield. Uh, in terms of victimology, I mean, when else in history can people be predictably found in their residences all at the same time. 
So, I mean, this is a dimension of this case that uh, has not really been critically examined. The RCMP investigation continues. Jesse Thomas, Global News, Halifax. One person has died due to flooding in Fort McMurray, Alberta, and the floodwaters are still days away from their peak. More than 1,200 buildings have been damaged so far. That's half as many as were destroyed in the devastating wildfire that hit the city four years ago. Global Sarah Kamadia Comedina reports. Some shelves at Family Foods in Fort McMurray are bare, but it's not a supply issue. It's just hard to restock at the pace people are buying. The store is seeing four times its usual number of customers. We had two trucks come in yesterday and shelves are almost empty again. Several main grocery stores are located in the evacuated downtown, where residents can no longer shop. This is insane. I, I've never, I never expected it to be like this and it's just craziness. The city's mayor is urging people not to panic buy. There is no need to panic buy or to hoard anything. There is plenty of things. Now, sometimes they run short on things for a short time, but they have plenty of trucks coming up the road to refill supplies. Please don't hoard. It's not necessary. The flood will be over. Food and flooding also a concern for the food bank now underwater. There is going to be food loss. There is going to be uh, property loss. There's going to be... Uh, our kitchen is probably filled with water. Like I, I don't know the furnace probably like there's so many things I just don't know until I can get in the building. But the plan is to get operating again soon. After the 2016 wildfire, the food bank provided 7,000 hampers. And in the coming days, the hope is to deliver 100 hampers per day, keeping in mind the added challenges of COVID-19. We have a, a, a hangar that we're using to get food delivered to. Uh, it is a ginormous amount of space, which is really great because there is a lot of food coming up um, and a lot of support coming to us. The Boil Water Advisory also creating another demand. Culligan Water is working hard to meet it. The rest of the team has picked up. Uh, we've been here all day, every day, and we're still here and we're going to be here. The closure of BC's schools has been a major challenge for many parents, but for those with special needs children, it can be a nightmare. And as Nadia Stewart reports, a survey finds most say they have received little to no support from their school districts. If you ask me how I'm feeling about how things are going, um, you know, it, it changes minute to minute. Tracy Humphreys has been fielding calls from parents all over the province. As the chair of an organization advocating on behalf of children with disabilities and complex learners, the stories she's hearing runs the gamut. Some people were having really great experiences communicating with their teachers. Their kids were loving the new um, format of education. Other people still weren't even hearing from anyone. Uh, no teachers, no EAs, no principal. A quick survey conducted by BC at Access found many parents do not feel they're getting the needed support from their school or district. Of the 209 parents who took part in the April 13th online survey, most say they have been contacted. But only 20% of parents said they'd been offered educational assistance support. In a lot of cases, some educational assistants had been redeployed as um, child care workers to take care of essential service workers' children, which is important. Part of that was that families hadn't been consulted with first to see whether they were in need of that support. The union representing educational assistants says many have tried to maintain contact with their students amidst the transition. It's because they understand uh, it is important to have continuity. 
For assistance, the focus now is on transitioning back to the classroom. A Burnaby School District memo obtained by Global News provides a snapshot. Masks and gloves are not recommended in the education setting. But Williams says there are mixed feelings and a concern over mixed messaging. On one hand, the provincial health officer is saying to us, in school, schools are safe. But at the same time, where you can have uh, physical distancing, you should be doing that. Humphreys says she understands the concerns and says workers should do what's best for them. She's also hearing some parents might not immediately send their kids back to school when it reopens, as everyone looks to help students transition yet again. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Still to come, Grad 2020 is going to look a lot different. The logistics and the planning, it requires a lot of hands on deck. How the largest school on the North Shore is planning something special for its graduating students. And in sports, more of the Canucks all-time roster. After 65,000 votes, the top forwards chosen by fans. It's something a lot of us can relate to right now. Mom, please just, just, just listen to what I'm saying. Just listen. <laughs> Call it a mini quarantine meltdown. The story behind this video right after Christie's forecast. I used that same line with my son. I just, I can't believe it. Will, just listen. Yeah, just please listen. Uh, all right, we're going to check in uh, with someone who has been managing the boys at home pretty well, I'm imagining. Christy Gordon joins us with a look at the forecast. Yes. Into that rain. Thanks so much. Yes, so uh, just listen. We we get a lot of that around here. Yes, it's coming down right now. I just actually got a ton of it on my head, everyone. I should be wearing a, a rain jacket, but I got an umbrella over me, and that's keeping me dry. Uh, we are expecting rain overnight. Tomorrow, though, conditions ease off. I want to show you some great photos, though, from earlier today. This one looking out over North Vancouver, North Shore Mountains. Gravity waves. Can you see in the clouds the waves there? So gravity waves can either be created by frontal systems or an air mass sort of going up and over a mountain. So really cool. Thank you to Corrine and Alex for sending that to us. And look, another shot of them. Matt Robson sharing this with us. You can see it off in the distance. Not quite as good of a shot, but you can get the idea. Thanks. Love to see the gravity waves. All right. So we are expecting rainfall overnight, easing to showers for us tomorrow. We will see breaks of sunshine, but we still do have a slight chance of an isolated shower tomorrow. So we're not totally in the clear and that's right across much of the province. Next system is going to approach us late Friday. So probably Friday night and Saturday will be wet. In the meantime, this is your Thursday, everyone, with a mix of sun and cloud. And we will see chance of showers through the mountain regions, drier and through the Okanagan Valley for our area, a 40% chance of showers. Now, the Friday's looking pretty nice, but Saturday is certainly looking wet, everyone. And I will leave you with your uh, central windows, weather window, a gorgeous shot. How many little goslings here? One, two, oh. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow, now that's a busy household. Mm -hmm. It sure is. And not socially distanced. <laughs> All right, thanks, Christy. Very cute. A four-year-old girl in Massachusetts pretty much sums up how many of us feel right now with her makeover meltdown caught on video by her mom. Amelia Sanchez doesn't want much in life, just pink hair. And for the life of her, she can't understand why they can't go to the salon and buy pink hairspray. Naturally, she blames mom for her misery. The salon is closed for the quarantine because no, oh, of the coronavirus. Oh, no, no, mama, make sure um, I will not touch anything. 
You can't be destroying my life. I am not destroying your life. Yeah, because because I'm only going to destroy you change your mind. Oh, her mother posted the video saying we can all relate to having a bad hair day right now, so we might as well find a little humor in it. We are all Amelia. <laughs> All right. right, let's check in with Squire for, for a look uh, ahead to sports. The Canucks Dream Team. Yes, we'll look at the centers tonight, four of those, and then tomorrow will be the wingers. Oh, also with the Canucks, they actually got to do a hockey thing today. They signed one of their draft picks from last June, Swedish winger Nils Hoglander. So, yeah, what he said. Ah, uh, this guy's got some mad skills, and Jim Benning thinks they will take him to a regular job with the Canucks. All right. Well, graduation is supposed to be a special time. What some schools are doing to make sure grad stays that way, even during the COVID crisis. Coming up. Squires here with sports. Let's get a look at some of the young talent that eventually will be playing for the team. And maybe years from now, they'll be part of the all-time team. At <laughs> least... Or at least, I didn't, I didn't want to say that. At last year's draft, Jim Benning was super happy to get Swedish winger Nils Hoglander in the second round. And today, Hoglander signed an entry-level deal with Vancouver. Now, he's not very big. He's only 5'8". But this guy has some skills that could translate to the NHL. Maybe even that lacrosse-style goal, he likes to score. We really like, you know, his character. Um, you know, he'll be a top-nine player, and I think... You know, once he's, you know, up and going and after he has a year or two under his belt, I think he'll be a top six player for us. Well, tonight's all-time Canuck team reveals the four centers voted on by you. And like the last story you just saw, there will definitely be a Swedish flavor to it. But when it comes to the Canucks, Swedes have fit in pretty well in Vancouver. Like IKEA furniture, some of the best Canucks centers were made in Sweden. The first two to make a huge impact on the franchise were Thomas Gradin and Patrick Sundstrom. Now, they didn't make the all-time team, but they did blaze the trail for the two Swedes that did. Gradin and Sundstrom basically changed the way the Canucks played. I think uh, they, brought a, they brought a new style to Canadian hockey where... You know, we were more grind it and throw it in, and they, you know, we, we would uh, throw the puck in, and they'd go like, "What'd you do that for?" <laughs> it was more like, well, "We want the puck." And that's the style we saw from Henrik Sedin, who, of course, is part of this all-time team. After all, he's the all-time Canucks leader in assists and points, mainly because him and his brother played the game with advanced intelligence. Now centers, Daniel shoots, he scores! The Twins were good because there's two or three steps ahead. They could, you know, it was like a chess match. They could see, um, they could see the future almost. Henrik's rise to greatness was a gradual process. It didn't happen right away. But eventually, he won the scoring title and the Hart Trophy as a league's MVP. The only Canuck ever to do that. And voters believe the latest Swedish middleman, Elias Pettersson, is already good enough to also be on the all-time team. Yeah, I think he symbolizes uh, the future of the hockey game today. And he's looking for number three here. Oh, a move! That's creative. 
Ryan Kessler is also on this team, but his skills come with a lot more edge. He's the kind of guy who could stop your scorer from scoring and then put one in himself. In the 2011 playoffs, he was a beast, and if he hadn't been playing hurt in the finals, maybe the outcome would have been different. The other center is, well, how can it not be? Trevor Linden. And sometimes it's forgotten what kind of player he was. He was not just a leader. He was a guy who could score. He was a guy who would go through walls and glass to win. And a comment from Gino Ojek back in 2008 perfectly summarizes Linden. He was unbelievable. I, I've seen him with ice packs all over his body and then come to the rink having a hard time walking, having to put his foot in a bucket of ice for an hour just to freeze it enough to get his foot in the skate and um, um, every dollar he made he earned it. Got the puck at center to Trevor Linden trying to get loose coming in on goal he scores! So there you go Elias makes it with Henrik, Trevor and Ryan Kessler. All Deservedly right. so. All right, thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. The Vancouver Mural Festival is transforming boarded-up downtown storefronts into stunning artwork. Plus, we'll check in on the decampment situation at Oppenheimer Park, where BC Housing says it has now moved more than 30 people into safer homes indoors. And fire has gutted an under-construction mill in Port Alberni. Despite the setback, the owner says it will rebuild the manufacturing plant. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Jay. When we come back, plans to save grad that might just get an A+. We'll find out next. Well, it's time to recognize one of our BC healthcare heroes working hard on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes to us from Nicole Hall. She says her friend Melanie is her healthcare hero. Melanie works at Royal Columbian Hospital as a cardiovascular perfusionist. That's an important member of the open heart surgical team. On top of her regular working hours, she is also working long overtime hours at the front lines of the pandemic. She works closely with COVID patients in the ICU using a machine that oxygenates blood. Nicole says she's so proud of Melanie and of all the hours that she's putting in, as well as the entire team of perfusionists at Royal Columbian for their dedication and hard work during these very challenging times. So if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to nominate, email us at bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Just send us a few pictures and tell us why they are your hero. Well done. Thank you, Melanie. Well, it's a rite of passage and the highlight on many students' high school calendar, but grad 2020 isn't going to look like yours. COVID has canceled many ceremonies, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, some schools say they will not fail to preserve the rite of passage. Bethany Deans bought her dress for high school graduation months ago. It was $800, so it was quite a lot. Now, amid a global pandemic, the 17-year-old's dreams of wearing it have changed. Her Surrey Christian School is still deciding what to do. Nothing's final yet, so I'm kind of just waiting to see what will happen and then wait to be disappointed. Approximately 60,000 teens are graduating this year in B.C. 
None will experience traditional ceremonies and parties. Alternate plans vary by district. Students at Hansworth Secondary in North Vancouver will take part in a virtual ceremony, one that allows them to cross a stage. They will be coming in in their formal wear, they'll get a photo, they'll cross the stage. I will be on stage with them. Um, they'll collect their certificate, they'll walk off the stage, get a photo in their formal cap and gown. And those uh, video vignettes will be put together um, of all of the students into what would be a formal grad ceremony. You know, talking to many of my friends, they are disappointed, but we're, we all like to look on the bright side of things and hope for a better future. West Vancouver is also doing a virtual grad the district superintendent says it's important for kids and teachers. You know, schools are so much about about possibility and opportunities. Uh, and right now, you know, we're we're saying to our to our students that have been with us for 13 years, and we've been so connected to them. So many of these things that are so important to them are just not possible, and and it sucks because it's really out of everyone's control. Grad 2020 will be different. It has to be. Most kids remain hopeful. It will still be fun and memorable. Yeah, I trust whatever, whatever they're trying their best, so we'll go with ever, whatever their plan is. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. I think she should just wear the dress now. That's right. Oh, listen. To I, don't, I wouldn't want to be in the corsage <laughs> business right now. No, right? Yeah. Can you hear that? Can, can you hear no. it? That's the rain falling on Christy's umbrella. Oh, I don't want to go outside now. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it is coming down and it's pretty dark and gray, but it brightens up tomorrow, everyone. Still a passing shower, so don't leave home without a rain jacket, but uh, certainly more sunshine. Oh, that's going to feel good. All right, stay dry out there. And uh, yeah, we're what? A little, just a few seconds away from more happy banging. So happy <laughs> banging, everyone. Oh. Pots and pans. Oh. Good night.